Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. Hi, it's Megan from A Special Place in Hell. Just want to let you know that this episode was our very first live stream. We recorded it on January 31st, and we had um, lots of people in the audience, and we had some some questions and some back and forth. So you will notice that we are uh, responding to some of the comments in the chat, and uh, we even got some donations. So I would say it was a big success. We will do more soon. And in the meantime, enjoy the episode. In the culture wars, there are no winners just podcasters. Only a few are willing to risk their lives in the face of some of the dumbest ideas to have ever captured human civilization. Every week, we, Megan Dom and Sarah Hader, humbly accept this mission to bring you conversations that are equal parts stunning, brave, and live, live streamed. This is a historic event. Historic for sure. Uh, yeah, we are, we're, we're doing a live stream right now. People who are listening to this on the regular podcast, this will mean nothing to them, but uh, we are in fact at this very moment, um, doing a, we've got an audience, mm -hmm. got a live studio audience of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing, I'm seeing the chat. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not going to look at it the whole time I have to like, but, but I'm seeing it it's there. They're like, oh yeah, you guys are live. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Um, right. So we're just going to have our normal conversation. And then if people have questions, I guess we're going to interrupt our conversations and address them. Yeah, or, I, don't I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go. Uh, I mean, it depends on how like great the comments and or questions. Yeah. You better, maybe you maybe we won't be even really address good. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I know I, you know, the, the big news today uh, is that uh, people are really um, worried about Taylor Swift Apparently, she is a psyop. Uh, the whole relationship with Travis Kelsey, I believe that's his name, uh, tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, that is a football team that is going to the Super Bowl. What's a uh, tight end? I mean, it sounds I know, it, it sounds doesn't sound sexual. good. Doesn't sound good. Um, it's a it's a position on in football. Okay. <laughs> and also. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> and also a physician. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So um, I this guy, okay, there's this guy on Twitter named Owen Benjamin, or maybe his name is Benjamin oh, I Owen. I too. I was okay. going to read this one. Okay, go ahead. Do you want to read it? No, no, no. It's terrible. You should read it. Okay. Read it. Well, I mean, this is, uh, this is only the latest in a, in a, string, in a string of uh, such tweets. Okay. He asks, why would a rich, famous guy marry a 34-year-old woman? If you started immediately, you might be able to have two kids. And she's publicly had sex with a ton of guys. Publicly. Despite her wealth, she's very low quality for any successful male. Just seems weird and almost like he's a gay guy. Why would a successful man want a middle-aged woman who's always on tour? Is it, could it be because he's gay? Well, he is a tight end. So that's where it, this that's guy where might be onto from. something. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so Taylor Swift has been showing up like in the, in the stands, in the stadium, cheering on her man who seems like a very nice guy. Uh, he's like very like masculine and bearded and lumberjacky. 
and uh people are quite upset about this apparently um and i think it's it's very much in keeping with this recent fascination of mine which is the sort of red red slash black pilled very online right wing guys who are obsessed with finding like a milk maiden to be their life partner and i think that they don't like it that taylor swift is sort of like stealing the spotlight from her man i don't understand anything about this i don't understand why anyone's talking about it i think taylor swift is kind of boring in general and now she's that, controversial i guess yeah it's her whole her whole because she like dares to be old and it's fine and by old we mean 34 <laughs> 34 34 yeah there's, yeah there's a lot of people saying she's mid um middle aged right uh I mean, I hope she's not middle-aged. Depends on how you define that. Look, I, uh, uh, there's another great tweet by Owen Benjamin. This is the one that I was... <laughs> oh, the same guy, Owen Benjamin. Whoever Where, this guy yeah, is, yeah. he doesn't like gay. He, he used he is, to be called um, Sargon of Akkad. That's who he... I don't know oh, what, why he was called Oh, that's who that is. What did he, he do? He rebranded himself. He was just like an internet, like, anti-feminist, I think. I think he was a... I, I could be wrong, but I think he might have been like a kind of Gamergate kind of guy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, yeah, yeah, um, now, now the bells are ringing yeah yes uh and then at some point he unmasked and now we know who he is and it's just it was better when he was masked it's like kiss you know like the band members from kiss <laughs> it's like when they took off all the makeup oh. and then we saw their like like kind of fuzzy faces it was we like, just realized oh, they're God. like up with people or something yeah. Anyway, yeah. so he said, uh, here's another tweet. Life expectancy is 72. 34 is a literally middle-aged. Taylor Swift is a middle-aged woman with no children who works away from the home 340 days a year. She's not exactly a catch. And then he later reveals that my mom was 38 when she had me. <laughs> but it's obviously well, not ideal. <laughs> well, obviously not. Because there's some defects going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah there was another uh, Taylor tweet from a couple of uh, weeks ago, actually about a month ago now, um, by uh, Abby Roth, who is her handle is classically Abby. She mm. is Ben Shapiro's sister. And she appears to be um, an aspiring trad influencer. And she tweeted... Can we all recognize that Taylor Swift is old, 34, never married, never had kids, still singing about broken hearts and dating? If you're coming home to an empty apartment at the end of the day, you can't convince me that money and fame alone are the recipe for success. I, I, can you – Taylor Swift's apartment must be so grim and depressing when she yeah, comes home I, every night. I just think they should pick like a – target that makes sense you know like she doesn't seem like an unhappy person she is not old she is super attractive she is incredibly rich can we just pick we, we should pick somebody who actually makes us feel like oh it's important to have family and friends and like you know she has mm -hmm. friends actually she must have tons, and tons oh my gosh she has her fake the, friends, all, all this all the swifties she has mm. she has i mean she has a million fans i mean but i do actually think this is interesting because i don't think there's this is i'm going to give the most generous interpretation of this i don't think they're saying she has no value i think they're saying um she has no value like in the traditional female sense like she doesn't have any her 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 body count i don't think her body is necessarily like... high <laughs> it's, it's, i mean she's written about every single 
body that she has counted uh, in a song so and but there and, and some that i think she hasn't you know i think she writes about every guy she just like yeah exactly with. exactly even if she exactly even if she i just, think that's like, the whole point caught his eye of doing yeah. it like i think you know if, if we found out like 40 years later like actually she was married she had a family the whole time but oh, all these public affairs that would just, be amazing like, this thing that she had to do uh for her career it would make a lot of sense to me but i just but there are people who are so ultra famous like who are beyond the requirements for everybody else yeah they transcend yeah this this whole oh she's too old she's to be a mother she's failed in that sense it's like she's not she she doesn't these standards are not her standards like we can't we can't talk about it in these in these ways it doesn't make sense i guess okay but their argument would be she writes all these songs about how she's sad over all these breakups and all these guys screwed her over and she just wants love and uh so therefore we are going to hold her to these standards i mean i do think that it's 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 i i give this uh travis kelsey props for for dating her um she, this is a power couple that's I guess. not what do you mean props like props as in you're so brave or he's stunning and brave like, he's actually but, but like he's actually gotten a catch well i think that it's like probably hard to be with somebody who is the bigger star like a lot of mm-hmm. these football players i mean any athlete you see these athletes and they will cut to the stands and they'll show their like beautiful girlfriend or wife cheering them on and it's not usually somebody who's 50 times more famous than mm-hmm. the the athlete you know yeah. it's it is the ideal of like the woman cheering on her man and she's very um you know like homespun and beautiful and trad like no mm-hmm. that's kind of the paradigm so it is it it would be uh probably it is probably a lot it would be extra as the kids say to have Taylor Swift as your girlfriend. I bet it is really hard for her to find somebody. Like, I think at that level of fame, your pool is tiny. You know, it's just She's so tall. She's also tall. Tiny. She's also tall. She's, She's got, got the tall girl, girl problems, problems. And then famous girl In problems. Every way. Rich girl problems. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, her life does suck. Let's face it. Yeah. She probably comes <laughs> home and her cat litter box is probably overflowing with cat turds. And uh, just grim. Yeah. Uh Nicki Minaj is also having like a kind of a weird time on Twitter, but that is different. And I haven't fully updated myself on what's happening. I think she is dating on dating somebody who may be like a convicted sex offender. I don't, I mean, I don't want to, I think, I think that there is something, something shady about what's happening, but, Mm -hmm. um, and it looks like she's lost her mind a little bit. Okay. She's been tweeting some crazy things and sharing some crazy things. I mean, on social media, maybe not on Twitter, but she's been sort she's sort of losing it, looks like publicly. So that's sad because I liked Nicki Minaj. Oh really? I, I mean not, opinion, not her, her music. Her music was bad, but uh I like the idea of her. You know, you what, remember what when is, like what? there was a song Anaconda when it came out? Or like even before it came out and there was just like I think this just the lyrics were known or something like that, and all these feminist sites were like, yeah, it's like this anthem for for women everywhere, and oh. it turned out to be like one of those videos where like all it is is you know women with their butts shaking the whole time, uh, and uh, that was pretty funny. That was a like fun little moment. Oh, that's okay. And she gave me that so nice. Well, yeah. 
I, I'm developing uh, some theories about Taylor Swift, and I actually don't know that much about her. I don't know any of her songs. Um, I'm inclined. None of them? To, I'm inclined to dislike them. Well, I know "Shake It Off." Mm-hmm. That's from a really long time ago. But I think I need to work on this more. I'm just, you know, just bear with me. I think that she is a social contagion, akin to like gender dysphoria. Mm. She is she her audience are teenage girls who have all decided that this is the best music ever this is incredibly deep her songwriting is amazing this is real artistry and that that is so clearly not the case i mean taylor swift could be i mean i'm sure i'm going to get pushback here but i i feel like this could have been generated like ai she's kind of like ai but she's not ai you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's kind of a K-pop sort of thing. She's like okay, maybe no. a, a couple notches above K-pop. I think you're going to get pushback from me a little bit. Okay, go ahead. Okay. So here's here's what it is. I don't I don't think, and now I'm not super familiar with her music either. And I don't understand the Swifty situation. I don't understand why anyone wants to watch live music, actually, because it's just oh. like a terrible experience. Well, a, a t yeah i mean a taylor swift concert would be sounds like a experience. nightmare and yeah nightmare, it does you yeah. know just a bunch of screaming like what teenagers and hopefully they're like right they're probably they're not like, like they're, they're older like than that school. oh some like, of no, yeah they no. go with their mom some of them are, yeah. no some of them are older than that some of them are like my age it's like harry potter yeah. fans like too many too many harry right. potter fans are like 35 oh yeah you know like the most insane harry potter fan is going to be like a 35 year old woman uh -huh. um Anyway, so I, I, you know, I, I actually think that she is rare in that she does write her own songs, or many of them, or most of them. Many of some of them slash. But nobody does that anymore. Nobody does that. Like everybody else, just gets you know somebody to write things for them. I mean, they're entirely fake in a way that she isn't, and there she she'll do live performances where it's just her and the guitar, and you can tell that she has genuine talent like she has a nice voice she knows how to play an instrument she writes sort of. songs i mean she that's she knows her... a couple of chords and she yeah, sings better than she used to had like it, that that puts her so far above oh, any other modern musician so except for um who's our who's our fave our queen um the big one what's her name plays a flute lizzo lizzo no she's no lizzo that's that's she's sure. no she's no lizzo but um okay well I mean, obviously, yeah, we've, we've talked about this before. Obviously, there are lots of musicians um, making new music all the time who are genuinely talented. But yeah, okay, if you're talking about no, you're major, right. you're major right. pop something stars, about it. I just, it's sort of like, it's been decided that this music is good and deep and important, and everyone just goes along with it. And it's not it just, everyone, it's like young girls. Young girls are like that, though. Like, yeah, that's what I mean. You know, they're but like why, primed why, for a social yes, contagion. That's what I'm saying. So, this, yeah. she, her audience is young girls. And so, her, it's young girls have made her, have, have elevated her. They have made her as famous Crowned and successful her, yeah. as she is. But it's, they have done it because of this social contagion effect. That's what I'm thinking. I think she also speaks to their experience. Like, what you're calling as pretty basic shit, you know, like, these very simple emotions these are also their emotions you know and she speaks from this first person perspective about the ups and downs of her life you know and her yeah. songs are they're very autobiographical and it's interesting that she focuses on heartbreak so much i mean this is like a young woman you know not problem, young anymore you know, 
not not that young 34 uh, middle-aged okay. but are, is it really true that no major pop star is writing and doing personal stuff i mean the, the I, think, I mean this is I, the I oldest is story true. in the world exactly. really there's nobody there's I don't no, know if nobody are there any men it seems nobody, like there are no, men there are somebody. there are male singer songwriters are there not yeah but they don't have to dance on stage no you know? I mean, the, like they don't have to there's so much they don't have to do but Taylor Swift has to dance. Taylor Swift has to look hot. Taylor Swift has to do a lot of other things. You can't expect her to also write her own. I mean, there have been in the past female singer songwriters that can do stadium concerts and don't have to dance and sequin leotards on stage. But now you do. I guess we can't. Okay, well, that's a valid. That's a valid point. So then it is total total sexism. Yeah, I I mean, this whole this kind of music sucks. It's what's amazing about like modern music is that you have like Taylor Swift. And then you have so many like interesting, like new like artists who are experimenting a lot with like electronic music, you know, like there's, it's just so much, it's, it's accessible to the kind of average person. I mean, you wouldn't quite be average because you have to have access still to a good bit of software and technology. But I think if you're just a creative young person, you can create songs and get them online oh, yeah. so for from from that indie perspective it's just it's incredible what's happening oh i know but there's it's amazing... very in, it, it's not super visible though you know like yeah, well uh, they have their stuff. audiences i mean there are new artists that are on youtube that have very very big followings mm-hmm. and they'll play their music and they'll talk to you and stuff like that but yeah it, it's a it is a different economy so anyway um okay we do have some uh chats we want people to ask us questions somebody has already asked a question i is it a good this, question though? i hate this question well no. okay how am i going to pronounce my name i do this is really really a problem dom Daum. um i know i'm being really confusing i don't know Wait, I think what's I'm the gonna... question what's the question okay do you plan on switching from dom to Daum again in the future inquiring minds want to know if you've settled on a pronunciation mm. Um, I think I'm going to go back to, to Dom because uh, that is actually how most of my relatives that are not my immediate family pronounce it. And uh, I only have one immediate family member Tell who's me alive. I'm going to go with Megan X. I know. Yeah. I think that works. I think you should just do Megan, Megan X. Megan X? It sounds like Malcolm X. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Like yeah. from Kent X. Oh, Kent, yeah. Just, you know, Megan. but now it has this like Twitter, like, yeah connection too it's like elon musk keeps naming everything x uh and you can just pretend like maybe you're part of that yeah or maybe just a number maybe just my social security number i'll just say out loud every time that'll be my last name so yeah that's the answer to that question so yeah people as people should ask questions oh somebody wants about what kind of music do they like nobody wants to hear about my music taste i do do you? you have any? You don't want to go to any live shows, so I don't want to go to any live shows. I it's all over the place. I don't have any like That's specific good. genre that I'm all that interested in. Um, it's not Taylor Swift stuff. It's not pop. Yeah. Not not. I mean, but I can enjoy it. You know, like I can be drunk and you know be in the <laughs> dancing mood and be interested mm-hmm. in in that, and I don't mind, and I'm not above it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a period where Lady Gaga was really everywhere when i was um in a club hopping kind of age uh and yeah it was fine it was fine yeah uh, i enjoyed it but i don't i don't 
Um, I like a lot of the uh, sort of new new grass uh, singer songwriters, uh, like um, Sarah Jarosz and uh, Nickel Creek. Those guys, uh, Efi O'Donovan. I think that's mm. how you pronounce her name. Mm. Um, I like like you know very high quality musicianship because I grew up in this crazy musical family of which I'm the only uh, non uh, performer. Although mm. I have a scary uh ear i can hear i can hear like the littlest out of tune thing in like Uh-oh. the background of music it's that's mm-hmm. i am autistic when it comes to music actually it's mm-hmm. very unfortunate so hmm. uh, we, should make our, we should make playlists uh it would be and you know it would be like a subscriber only park maybe yeah but i don't know who's gonna like um anyway stuff. okay so do we have uh what what else is on our minds oh so many things we have so many things to talk about today. a lot uh, there was this uh, amazing poll that came out on the global gender divide. Um, the article was on Financial Times, right? In the Financial Times. FT. Yeah. In the FT. That's FT. how you say it. If you if you hang out at Davos, you read in the FT. I don't think I've ever... Have I? I mean, they're just so paywalled. It's so hard to get access to this article for some reason. But everybody on Twitter was talking about it. Um, and for good reason, because it was terrifying. Uh, there was, uh, for those of you who don't know, this is the um, uh, an article called A New Global Gender Divide is Emerging. And uh, they take a look at, uh, I think it's a Gallup poll, right? Like, yeah, Gallup data. Gallup poll. Yeah, they look at Gallup data um of how you know decades um after decades where the sexes were each spread roughly equally across liberal and conservative worldviews women aged 18 to 30 are now 30 percentage points more liberal than their male male contemporaries that gap took just six years to open up and they show all these different countries including germany uh and south korea and they show this like just insane deeply worrying divide um and it seems like in many of the cases it's the women that are just drifting like just extremely leftward um the guys uh, and by these young young guys they seem to be either mostly staying in the same place or occasionally also like drifting the other way Uh, so it's very worrying and all there was all this conversation as to what's happening and why it's happening. So that was pretty fascinating. So what what do you think, Megan? Are you worried? Yeah, <laughs> am I worried? Um, it's not like the highest list on my worries, highest on my worry list. Um, I mean, this was an interesting, I'm just going to read this one paragraph from the piece. He writes, the Me Too movement was the key trigger. Mm. Uh, and he was talking, actually he's talking about... Um, I don't know if he's South Korea actually has a huge um, that like you just said that was a that was a gigantic chasm mm-hmm. um, but uh, he writes the Me Too movement was the key trigger and presumably he's talking about the West as well giving rise to fiercely feminist values among young women who felt empowered to speak out against long running injustices the spark found especially dry tinder in South Korea where gender inequality remains stark and outright misogyny comment i mean i wonder if uh the me too and the sort of memification of feminist politics just sort of 
made women more political or just kind of politics was closer to their, it was part of their self conception in a way that it hadn't been before. And so they're just, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it is, it's almost like it is a sort of vehicle of style Mm -hmm. to be, you know, very progressive. Yeah. Um, Ruxandra, is that my, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right. Ruxandra. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Twitter, I want to find her her handle. I don't know where it is actually. Ruxandra Teslo. She's a she's on Twitter. She um posted an article that's also on her Substack, I believe, about what she thinks is happening, and she had some interesting thoughts as a woman uh who is Gen Z herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and she talks about how uh you know she thinks women are more empathetic on average and conservatives are perceived as mean and bad and hateful. And so this is an aesthetic thing as you were, as you were Mm -hmm. noting Megan. Um, And then she's also, she also talks about women. Yes. Women are gravitating to these online communities, but also male communities also exist and they're isolated and kind of gross. (laughs) And she she calls it the uh, intellectual goon caves Sorted communities characterized by anger and bitterness. Yeah. Um, an example of such a goon cave is a right-wing anonymous community on Twitter. Uh, if you have spent any time, amount of time lurking there, you are a sane person. You will come away with the feeling that it's a deeply insalubrious place. I don't know how to pronounce insalubrious. it. Insalubrious. Crazy word. Um, insalubrious, like incel-lubrious. <laughs> um, yeah, she had that. an excellent uh, thread about this. Yeah, uh, or it's one long tweet, and she and I was really glad that she coined this term "goon cave." I don't know if it's her coinage or came from somewhere else, but th- I've been. This is what I've been describing for the last couple of weeks here. Like, I these guys are always on my feed. I don't know why, because I never, I don't follow them. It's these anonymous, very red pilled accounts, and again, the people who are calling Taylor Swift mid and um, you know empty egg carton and that kind of thing. Um, and again, I don't know how many of them there are actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very online thing. Um, and I mean, she makes the point, I think it was her, that it's not just online because it is, it's creeping up um, in the real world mm-hmm. in some ways. She says it's, um, yeah, she says you might dismiss this kind of stuff as just an online phenomenon, but I think it's quickly percol- percolating into the mainstream. For instance, see this tweet from, okay, so then she quotes this tweet from UCLA Republicans, Bruin Republicans at UCLA. This is a blue check account. How do so many women at UCLA manage to be ugly, fat, ran through, <laughs> and liberal all at the same time? And all of this while the majority of men here are homosexuals. Sad. <laughs> Oh, UCLA. Uh, I mean, I don't know how seriously to take this tweet. Yeah, I I wouldn't take it too seriously, but she's not wrong that there's something about this and it's disgusting and it exists. I don't know whether this explains it because it's 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 not as if gross men didn't exist always. You know, like this is this is yeah. kind of always been a phenomena. And I I'm trying to think of like when I was young and very online uh lonely little nerdy kid it's not as if i didn't see my share of like disgusting like horribly disgusting stuff it just wasn't i guess it wasn't so 
is so anti-woman, but it was pretty anti-woman and, and racist and everything. Like it was, you know, just a time where it was cool to be, I mean, maybe, and maybe this exists for young men. There's a, there's a period where you have to be an edgelord and you have to say horrible stuff. And this is you becoming an individual and, you know, throwing off the shackles of polite society mm. or something. You know, I think it's just a phase. I'm, Separating from the mother. Right. I think there's a there, there's a phase that young men go through. What I think what might be interesting now is that they're not growing out of it. And that's right. not, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot in terms of, um, you know, the two examples of the male role models that Alexander was bringing up with Andrew Tate and, Donald Trump. Yeah, we have a these... question about this actually in the chat. Yeah. Okay. The Andrew what, Tate. What's well, yeah. the question? So where do Andrew Tate and his ilk fit into the divergence in young people's political principles? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if uh, Andrew Tate is causing anything, really. I think he's just a, he's a symptom, just like Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump is mostly a symptom of things um, and very, I, I, I don't know if he causes much at all, um, except to maybe you know, increase the tendencies that he's a part of anyway, that he's um, a representation of. But what's interesting about it is that you look at Andrew Tate and he's, he's what, a convicted Yeah, he's, is he in, trafficker? Is he like, in prison? He's like I mean, doing he was this from his jail cell. While, right. Yeah, for, for, for something hard, for like enslaving and like tricking women into like, uh, uh, into I guess sex slavery. I'm not sure about the sort of details of it, but it it was definitely not amazing. And um, <laughs> it wasn't a you and didn't he, just steal something from CVS, is what you're saying? Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's not just that he's a misogynist; it's that he he just objectifies women openly, um, brags about it. But that's always hasn't that always existed? I think what's interesting about it is that there is no counter to Andrew Tate. That you have these um male role models who just act like young men you know like this is what a this is what a 12 year old boy thinks is super masculine you know the to be like andrew tate and just you know fucking a bunch of hoes and cigars and you know driving these fast cars but what's interesting is that we we what we lack entirely is patriarchs you know like like men of substance yeah well strength leaders leaders yeah but but also fathers, you know, it's interesting that of all the things Donald Trump is, he's not a great father, not known to be, you know, and it's that's not clearly that's not something he's prioritizing in his life. And you don't see him as that, you know, you see him as kind of this uh, fuck you to to society, but you don't get the feeling that you're going to be protected by him in a way that maybe you would have with an elder statesman, you know, in like a true like idealistic patriarchal sense and i think that's just what's so what's so interesting by about somebody like andrew tate is that he's just this 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 man who will never graduate into father uh, fatherhood um and he's happy with that he's proud of that you know that he's just living in this free life um but he doesn't have any responsibilities towards anybody okay well, okay. Sorry, finish your thought because I. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just think that it's, it's, it's interesting how little thought that we're giving to not just like okay, young men are like where are they going? They're disappearing. They're playing too much video games or whatever. I think that what's happening is is this really important role 
of being a father is being denied to them in various ways, you know, maybe because just they're just not they're not getting to the point where they can offer a woman enough that they can settle down. Right. Or maybe they're getting lost along the way in like a million different pitfalls or, you know, uh, they're just not that valued in that role, that role uh, as a whole. Is yeah, I think they would valued. say they can't get a girl. I think they would say that women reject them. But there is a whole like ecosystem of you know, thought leader, business bros, entrepreneurial um, influencers that are all about like the wife and the kids and this is what matters and the best ROI you can get on your business is Which having is why an amazing I, wife. I kind of, I, I, as, as annoying as those guys might be, I actually think they're just doing people's service to the extent that they are encouraging the fatherhood role. Right. It's a responsible way of being. And I think it, 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 creates a lot of change in in men and and, and a, it's it's an important change you know it's important to their sense of self um and i i yeah but those well, guys are in the same world as the edge lordy incel guys i mean i see them interacting with each other i think that some of those like look at my family you know here i've got eight kids and here's my wife at home and like you know i 10x my business yesterday you know kind of thing like they then i see the you know, super red pilled, anonymous, right wing, young guy accounts responding to them, like, you know, you go bro sort of thing. So it mm -hmm. is this kind of like Jordan Peterson um, effect where, you know, these guys are, I I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you that they are good influences, but it's just, I find it fascinating that like this whole swirl has to do with like, extremely traditional values and like a romanticization of um a, a sort of society that never existed right um right. and it's like this it's it's just this like gestalt of you know fetishized um fantasy <laughs> right right but it's not so it, it's not terrible to have ideals even if they are no impossible to enact in real life you know, and maybe it's just it's impossible to have the trad wife the way that you you know the, the, that this is a fantasy that women can never like a real woman can never reach. But I think that that's clear to you the second you actually start a family. You know, the second you run into like that that you actually start moving towards that fantasy and achieving that fantasy, you run into what reality actually is. What what it what it means to be in love with another human who has you know thoughts and desires of their own and i think that it promotes a lot of good responsible change in people for sure but they can't even get there if they are obsessed with body count and yeah I do, but uh, i think it's cope it's cope like i don't think that they're I don't think they really care about body count. It's just like, oh, she said, you know, you know how like when a woman rejects you, then you're like, well, she's ugly anyway. Oh, yeah. I never wanted her. I think that's I think so much of it is just they feel a lot of resentment and bitterness and anger. And some of that is totally understandable. Yeah. You know, I don't I, I think we are setting up young men to fail and they they're not stupid they see that you know and meanwhile society coddles young women all the time and then while they're being coddled and they're doing well you know and they're making like good deals of money they have jobs they have more uh degrees than yeah. than these young men then it says okay also women are victims yeah and we're gonna shit on men yeah well yeah. I, I i saw um i don't know if razib khan said this or this was a in one of the replies to something he had 
tweeted, um, it was referred to as like an invert, this kind of um, red pill, gross misogyny is like a, a an inverse meme to the toxic masculinity feminist, um, you know, m messaging. Like those, those women were very, very active online. They came out of Tumblr. They came out of that whole stuff maybe 10, 12 years ago. And just it got completely absorbed into the culture. Like it's okay to say terrible things about men and to make fun of them and treat them like shit and, you know, post, you know, snap pictures of them manspreading on the subway and humiliate them and talk humiliatingly about your sexual experiences online. You know, basically um, treat men this way because you're ostensibly punching up. So mm -hmm. that really, you know, set the stage for this kind of rhetoric and this kind of behavior. And it comes out of the same thing. It comes out of grievance. But, you know, it's interesting that the female version of it was, um, you know, accepted by the mainstream. Like mm -hmm. those women who were doing that got book contracts mm -hmm. and became columnists and newspapers and things. Mm -hmm. uh, and these guys are just getting nowhere. Right. But I think so, that is it, the way that the culture, the, the difference in how the culture treats female cope and male cope, you know, both, you know, coming, stemming from a lot of bitterness and resentment at the opposite sex, I think has a lot to do with how women behave around other women and how men, you know, treat weak men. You know, I think like, Men don't want to help the incel losers. They're like, go, like men of stature, you know, men, men who have power, who have oh. a good family. They're not like, oh, you poor thing. You know, women feel that way about other women, you know? So when, when well, who was the writer whose who's fat phobia column we were? Oh, Kate Mann. Right. Like she can write about that and she can get a lot of sympathy from women who have never been fat. You know, she can read about that. So she can write about that and we think, oh, poor Kate. Um, and we're interested in hearing what she has to say and validating her and everything. I don't think this is a uniformly good thing. I think in some ways it's a good thing. It's good that women, you know, create women's shelters and take care of women and take these problems, social problems seriously. Um, but also the whole women's discourse is super copy because of it. You just have no, like, there's no, uh, reality to to so much of the conversation there like what do you actually need to do to be happy what do you actually need to do to you know have a good healthy relationship i don't think that that this information is easy for women to find at all mm -hmm. because cope is everywhere it's just everywhere <laughs> and it's validating the worst instincts among young women okay all right I, I'm fascinated by the concept of cope. Maybe we should devote a whole episode to that sometime. But I mean, cope is what you're dealing with, right? I mean, are you defining cope as um, like coping? It's it's like coping. It's what you are using to cope with a situation. Yeah, but it's not uh, like it's basically a fantasy, a lie you're telling yourself so that you can get over yeah. this other injury, like narcissistic injury, I guess, um, or your circumstances. Or your circumstances, yeah, sure. And I, I mean, cope is healthy. But, I mean, it's used to, it's it's, it's interesting well, that this has been pathologized, to, right? But so, like, like it's the whole. Uh, 
I'm I'm overweight and this is terrible and the society should treat me better. I'm overweight. This is terrible. Society should help me, you know, get more in shape or I should help myself get, you know, I mean, there's a difference in in who you're ascribing blame for your predicament, whatever it is. And I think that's what's harmful about cope when it doesn't, it can kind of lead you astray if it's saying, no, look, this is the, the problem is actually this thing. That's not you. And so now you can feel bad about yourself. So, but I mean, is cope like, well, I haven't met anybody. Um, so I'm just going to focus on my career and that's okay. And I'm going to make the best of this situation. I don't think that's cope. Yeah. I don't oh. think that's cope because okay. so long as you recognize the reality of your problem and the, the source of your problem, so long as that's, it's, it's, tr it's a true source and you're recognizing it and you're not looking too deeply into it, but you know, this is what's why it's happening. And now I'm figuring out a way to handle it um, okay a cope is something that's like not true you know it's just something okay you're, i see you're saying so to... if you're stating fact then it's not cope i think so yeah oh. i think cope is is yeah when you point to something else as the reason for all your problems you know here's the real here's a real problem you know it's not that i'm a loser mm -hmm. incel like addicted to porn or whatever like it's not it's not my porn addiction. It's it's her, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I that's what um, I. Okay. So I looked into this a little bit because just this like this extreme chasm in the past like six years um, of young women in just like going to this like real radical cultural left. I just. I was interested in it in that one, it seems to be, you know, something has happened to make it just, just skyrocket. Um, and I think that there was a lot of interesting discussion about, well, it's phones, it's online, being online, these discourses that are super isolated of women. Yes. Queening each other, you know, into insane politics. I think all of that is the case. Um, but this has been this trend has been going on for a while and what's interesting is that women used to be more conservative hmm. um than men on average uh so i looked it up a little bit and uh, uncharacteristically did some research that happens sometimes can you believe it oh, that um ex that excuses your lateness i know you're only ever late because you're doing research because i'm always working you're um so i found uh from a, a paper from like 2000 um, in the International Political Science Review. Uh, this uh, is call, called the Developmental Theory of the Gender Gap, Women and Men's Voting Behavior in Global Perspective. Um, and I, I, I liked it because it looked at data from the World Values Surveys, which is just like these crazy lengthy like surveys that are done every year and anyone can access them you guys can access them um and get this like data set like pure data and if you're like very statistically minded and you kind of like analysis like this you can poke around with it and play with all the different variables so mm -hmm. it's or you might have to pay for some of it but i remember Sounds i accessed a lot for. of it once huh yeah. Sounds worth yeah, paying I, for I, mean, I i did get at some point but you know but you have to know how to work with like data which you know i don't i can kind of do it um or maybe chat gpt could do it now for us you should offer some a class. kind of gpt could do it some kind of yeah. yeah um 
anyway, this is so this is a paper by um, Ronald Englehart and Pippa Norris, who are like gods in the political opinion, you know, science world. Um, I've read, I've been assigned and read many, many books and papers by them um, individually and also together. Uh, so they looked at um, uh, studies from, uh, you know, they, they looked at many countries um, and many decades from like post-war era, basically onwards. Um, I think they looked at uh, this over 60 countries um, and they started their analysis with uh, what we knew about women in the post-war era, but that's not the information available. The information available, I think, starts from the 1980s, which is when the World Value Survey um, started you know, going around everywhere. Um, but evidently in the poor, uh, you know, the post-war era, they talk about how it was just kind of taken as a matter of fact that women were conservative. Um, it was like established, this was established orthodoxy that, um, in Western democracy, women proved more right-wing than men. That's how they like start off. Um, and it was thought, you know, even like, even prior to women, um, getting the right to vote, uh, that when they would have it, you know, <laughs> they would just be, they would be conservative and that's what would that block would look like. Um, which is really, you know, but, Really that interesting. Why they gave them the right to vote? <laughs> I I don't I don't know. Uh, that's um, but they look at uh, so so they try to like a analyze this a little bit um, and see what's going on and what might be the cause and whether you know this is something that we see only in Western countries like Western European countries or only in the United States and then you can say okay there's something particular about this country. Um, if you see it broader than that, then, you know, it is a broader phenomenon. Um, and they find, yeah, they find that it's uh, happening in post-industrial societies. So this was a survey, th th this paper was in, um, published in 2000. Um, so I think that if they did it again, they would find that it has spread you know, the women's leftward drift has spread to other countries that used to be like formerly kind of developing and now have developed considerably. Um, and, and we would, we would see that suddenly women start to, to start mm -hmm. to shift leftward. And there is, you know, um, a, a lack of alignment between men and women on these issues. I think, I thought that was really interesting. Um, uh, yeah. 1980s they say is when the women starting move uh moving towards the democrats and this is like the this was really the key in the united states of the gender gap uh that women and men were kind of like same-ish for a while um after the post-war era and then um and then these women started separating in the 1980s onward um yeah I mean, I wonder if abortion has a lot to do with this, the sexual revolution, mm -hmm. and then, you know, the the yeah. relevance of of being able to obtain an abortion and birth mm -hmm. control. I mean, obviously, it was always a, a thing, but uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Actually, I would be very curious. I'm sure people are knowing the answer to this and frustrated that I don't know. But like, you know, the the history of abortion 
before you know it it wasn't really that politicized my understanding is that you know the it, it certainly was not like um a pet issue of the christian right until the 80s actually actually this this is to your point i think this makes sense like if you think about the rise of like the moral majority and you know right wing evangelical christian polit- political influence that was very much the 80s the reagan era and that had a lot to do with women um, women's reproductive freedoms and mm. such. So I would, I would bet that that's a big driver. Yeah. I think they, f- they find that it is, I'm sure that has a lot to do with it, but I think it is just also broader than that also th- than that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause they said that, you know, we would, uh, hold on. Hmm. We have some questions too. We should probably oh, no. be, we should be have- answering. Okay. So, All right. Um, what questions? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to see if it'll be, uh, re- relevant. Um, I mean, somebody did ask, is the, is the left welcoming for men? Hmm. If you're a certain kind of man, if you make the right kind of noises. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? I mean, I don't think anywhere is welcoming for men. It's just like a <laughs> one bad choice or another, you know, it depends well, on how you want to live your life. Do you want to be... Do you want to be able to climb like like the status hierarchies of proper and polite society? If so, then put on the, you know, put on that one, the, the colors of that team and say what mm-hmm. you're going to say, you know, mumble the party line. Right. Go <laughs> through the catechism. Just, just, right. But there's no because there's I don't think there's a way for men to win. Um, and that's part oh. of the problem. And I think that's what these young guys have noticed, which is why there's a sense of like, well, fuck you, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, we should say that we do have a man who sent us a donation. Aaron Smithy sent us a uh, $1.99. Oh my that's God. amazing. That is amazing. Thank you. How do we divide that, that up between the two of us? I didn't know we that's could do odd, that. Odd number. Yeah. I mean, that is going to pay. For I think life. I should get most of it. You get, I know. That's going to pay for like, what, 45 seconds of childcare? That's huge for us. I think, well, you, well, I, I will take, because I have to add in, price in the childcare. Well, you have to price in the dog care, which you do, which I'm mm. alarmed and amazed oh, by. Yeah, the dog care is not as much. I, I realize, uh, I, I gave you a number about the dog care the other day, but that was actually the overnight uh, fee. That was 24 hour care not the there's no 24-hour care that i can access no you should you, no you need to take your kids to the uh the dog camp and they can run around on uh pee stained uh astroturf mm. and have a grand old time anyway thank you for that big thanks yeah cool um, we can get money from people yeah um, so many somebody people. else especially if we uh if we take their questions um okay uh, you don't have to answer this if this is too much of a non sequitur, but what do you think about this cultural trend to constantly self-diagnose mental health issues? And what do we think this does for folks who are actually experiencing real problems? Well, this is the gentrification of mental illness concept that Freddie DeBoer has talked about. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's <laughs> bizarre. Abigail Schreier has a book coming out about this, actually, this spring, just about this like mental health uh, just making mental health struggles central to your identity, um, and uh, constantly uh, turning to therapists. I don't know if this is a point that um, Abigail made, but 
we're just hearing somebody talk about this, like the idea that that if you have a problem, the thing to do is like call your therapist. The fact that there are um, that there are you know services like BetterHelp, which is all about having a therapist on call that you can just chat with them at any time if you have a problem. The the idea that that is the way to handle a moment of stress or discomfort is so telling. Yeah, about where we are right now as a society. I think it's fascinating. You know, I think we'll be looking at this as like this very particular age, you know, this like age of like the psychological man, you know, where we had this sense of self and identity. And so much of it was tied down to modern psychology's conception of who we are and why we are what we are. It's 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 incredible. Um, I think we should do actually a whole episode on this because it's completely yeah. crazy but um what do i think this does for folks who are actually experiencing real problems um i don't well it, it, it's interesting because i don't know if like anybody's being helped they're not being helped uh regular people aren't being helped with this like self-diagnosis i don't know what do you think megan who's well I what, mean- what happens to I mean, some people have real problems. There was a piece of the New York Times the other day about a guy with um, schizophrenia, really terrible um, situation, young guy. But they're guy. being accepted, right? Like they're being like, it's more like we don't. Well, he couldn't get help. Stigmatized. The point is he couldn't okay. get services. He was on the street and, you know, he had parents and they, okay. you know, they were afraid of him. He was violent. And these parents were committed. Like they would do anything for him. And uh, it was just all about like what a desperate situation it is. And like mental health services had, you know, tried, but the he didn't want to be on medication because he was, he was paranoid. He thought his phones were being tapped. He wouldn't eat anything because he thought everything was poisoned. Um, and so it's, uh, it's, it's a really, really difficult thing to deal with. And other than, you know, committing people against their will, it was very interesting. A lot of the comments were people who were actually in the mental health profession saying, uh, I hate to say it, but committing people involuntarily and forcing them on medication is probably the, the least bad option. Um, but yeah, I don't know that that addresses what the initial question is. Yeah, I mean, people... I don't know. Well, was there ever a time where we were good with dealing with people with mental health issues? No, they were you know, in was there ever... asylums. Right. And that was horrible. But I think like it's just it has was, we've never been good about it. You know, like what does a good mental health system look like? You know, like we can think about idealistically what might make it up, but that's just you know, it's a, it's a theory and it's not really based in, in too much of what is actually goes on anywhere or can go on anywhere. Um, you know, I mean, in, in like third world countries, there are ways in which I think the mental health, like the, the way that mental health is kind of addressed might be a little bit better. Um, in that in some countries it's seen as it's a, you know, they have, it's not really a mental they're health. They're a God. Thing. They just decide they're a God. They the, the worship them. They they're God the and everybody else temple. will decide that they are being possessed. They're possessed, by demons, you know? And so people can do really horrible things to you. If they think you're being possessed by demons, maybe they need to be the shit out of you. And that's how the demon will go away. Um, or maybe, you know, they just need to, they, they say certain things and give you like a holy book and see what happens. And there's just all these ways of dealing with it. Uh, that are not medication um 
but I think that aside from that, at the treatment angle, the social support that exists in societies with tighter, I guess, more traditional networks is, I think, much more beneficial for people with any kind of problem um, than I think what they experience here with a much more atomized family structure. You know, there's no extent, we don't really have extended families that like live close by and can support each other all the time. You know, they say this about children. And I think that it's the same with elderly and uh, the mentally ill, that these are you know members of your families and communities who are a great handicap to the mm-hmm. the people who love them and who are related to them. And it's just a luck of the draw that you get, you know, somebody who's just going to be, who's going to have a, like great needs and you can't provide because it's just you and your husband or, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe this is your sibling and your parents are dead and that's, you're the yeah, only I mean, one. I and how are you going to take care of this person? Situation. So you, I mean, you had the whole extended, you know, you had the whole network to help ease the burden. You know, it, 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 made things easier from that in that respect I I, maybe i would be very cur- i mean i don't know i'd be curious what like in a super developing world situation what they would do with like a profoundly schizophrenic violent person i mean, I mean they I might be they might I, I, I mean i don't think send that them they out off would, into the wilderness they wouldn't just i, I don't know if they would because it depends on the religion i guess i suppose but i know in like islam you can't just like kill them or hurt them or you know you will i mean maybe you it depends on like what the folklore is in a in a in addition to the religion itself but um i knew this woman um and i don't know if i talked about her on this podcast before i didn't know her like directly too well but she was in like the support groups that i was helping to run and she was a deeply disturbed person, just deeply disturbed, um, could not take care of herself and was a huge burden on anybody who would get close to her and try to help her, basically. Like she would just, ne- she could not walk away, you know, she would just, and she would ask for more and more and more and more. And she needed so much because she just couldn't hold on a job. She just couldn't, she couldn't manage, she couldn't manage her life. Um, and, you know, her life was, you know, her talking about, oh, I need help, people helping her, and them going sick of it, getting sick of it, and just feeling like, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't give her more money. I can't give her more time. I can't give her, you know, more space in my house or whatever. I just, and, you know, and she burned through a lot of bridges. You know, and I'm not blaming her because I don't know what was going on in her head and I don't know what she actually needed, but just that those social like bridges were just burned and burned and burned and burned. And, you know, I remember thinking that if she had family and she didn't, mm. right, these were like ex-Muslims who didn't have family mm. um, supporting them. Like if she had family, then, you know, I, I think she would have had something that was much more stable, you know, and I maybe that's romanticizing it. And of course, not all families, but it is also true that when you are in a position like that, where you have somebody who's, you know, you have a kid who's who has you know mentally handicapped and is going to be your kid forever you know yeah and then you think okay this is my well this is my sibling this is my sibling forever (laughs) they have a mental illness or whatever but I feel a duty to take care of them I I remember thinking that if she had her family that she would have had more assistance more help anyway she ended up 
getting uh medically assisted suicide she uh, she was in canada she 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 got a got suicide oh, wow. with made with, with made yeah and i read when about was it this? i read about it this was like maybe two years ago but i read about it when i when that that all these like profiles of made made work was coming with people who are not terminally ill because she's not terminally ill right but she applied as just like you know i can't live this way anymore and i you know i don't i have no quality of life and she was you know in an interest interesting kind of person but she was also just, she had a lot of needs yeah uh, and i just don't know it was a difficult case but i remember thinking that if she had her family networks she would have had something much more stable than what exhausted friends could provide or just well-meaning strangers and charities and all these things because eventually she would just spaz out on them and burn that yeah. bridge whatever you know um, maybe you know but anyway she so she she passed wow. away yeah uh and i read about yeah. it and it was like shocking although i mean people who do it is shocking that uh made made is medical assistance and dying program in canada if people aren't it's a familiar. euthanasia like yeah um, i mean i mean i i they and they do um allow for you know m mental illness is on the list of things they'll consider and same with the dignitas clinic in in switzerland i think too i i read a couple nora vincent who we talked about when we first started the podcast uh she uh died uh assisted suicide in, in switzerland at that clinic and all they said was that she'd struggled with depression so there you that go so but you know she does have family that. but like a lot of the i mean you know those people they people who do that most of them do have families yeah yeah somehow, well but they I have think alienated it depends on yeah it's it's of course, and it's, right? Like, it's, so it's sometimes even family can't of, do it. Right, right. And we don't know, I don't really know the details of what happened with her family. Like, maybe it was all due to leaving religion or what. I'm not sure. Um, I just think that it is it is true that family is willing to put up with greater burdens than strangers can or, or will, even the most well-meaning, you know, yeah. it, it, people will, will not put up with what a family might provide you. But it's, of course, it's, you know not not perfect um but it's no. horrible to see poor people you know like applying for made you know and then you think okay well they could definitely use well use we're not gonna have to apply for made because we have more donations oh my god uh gene strumbos gave us three dollars and 99 cents so now that is like how many minutes of daycare is that Guys, with this like odd number donations, I mean, we're okay, going to well, quibble over this. Hang on cent. to it because like, wait, wait, wait for it. Sean McGonigal sent us $10. Wow. Okay. Thank this you for great. the um, even number also. I yeah, thank you. We we, no, to... we're seriously grateful. We should do this every time. Why why have we been doing the podcast with the old way with nobody paying us throughout it? Okay. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think we're all just worried that, you know, what if I have to pass gas and then we're live and then everybody hears it? Yeah, but we get to buy gas now. Right. Okay. Here's a question. Do do Special Place in Hell fans have a nickname like Swifties? Yes, they do. Do you remember we discussed this? Speds. Speds. <laughs> Was it Speds? I feel like that's, is that rude? Is that yes. going to get us in trouble? I don't care if it gets us in trouble, but like. It's mean. Is it mean? Yeah, I think it's kind of mean, but I don't know. It might be on brand for us. Spez I'm okay with a... being mean to our audience. I'm just not yeah. okay with being mean to like. Well, they are the... true. Spuds. <laughs> We're spuds. Yeah. How yeah. about spuds? Spuds. Like... <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah. Well, if you guys think of a a name for yourselves, please please volunteer it. Um, we have some more questions. No, they're gonna find something really. They're gonna find something flattering, so we can't let them do it. Okay. Yeah. Don't flatter yourselves, please. Only flatter us. Uh, are either of you filling in for Jesse Single on Bar Pod during his book sabbatical? Who's taking uh, the sabbatical? Who's writing no. the book? Oh what do God. you mean? There's a party that we weren't invited to. Thanks well, a lot. Every I didn't get yeah. the. I did not get. Uh, they would never invite that. us. I mean, they maybe they would invite you. They would invite you. You are very. They would invite um, you. You are like a. Per- you know, sometimes like people will, like I'll I'll be reading just like something and your name will come up and it'll be like, I'm like oh like that's with Megan Dom. I was reading about the Heresy Press opening oh. up. And it was, uh, you know, they were talking about, like, it's affiliated with these oh, names, yeah, it was like, on, these big names, on, like, you know, this person, this one, Megan Dome. I, was I like, know, but oh, you were on some, you, you were on trigonometry. Mine? That, that, that kind of, yeah, uh, but I'm like, I feel like I'm, like, I'm so me. much of an online person compared to, compared to your uh, know, establishment like, Wow, you why they through... invite her? They invited you, they came in, in, in person and everything. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, we're not filling in for Jesse. Although we would both be good. You know what? They should just get Katie should go on vacation too. And we should just, the two of us should just do blocked and report in, in addition How about to this it's podcast. Like Katie's dog and your dog. And oh. that's it. And she wanted, else's... Katie wanted her to breed, to gay breed her dog Moose with uh, Hugo. I mean, they could get okay. a surrogate. How do you do that? Well, we discussed it actually when she came on The Unspeakable. They would have okay. to get, so if, if Moose and Hugo wanted to be gay dads together, gay dog dads uh-huh. we have to hire a surrogate we would have to get egg donor from another dog that would be a good and then they would have to mix up hugo and moose's sperm and then we would have to do the embryo and then we had to put it in another dog surrogate oh, a stational okay. surrogate and then that's too much i don't know but then it would still be only one of i don't know yeah and then but, it'd be clear who's who's like pup it I don't was. know who the yeah, who the but Hugo's puppy neutered. Daddy. Hugo's neutered, so okay, it, so it's not going to be him. Big oh ruse. my god, so this is ridiculous. No, I know, there's no, there's I know. no point in doing yeah. it. It's um, okay, uh, have uh, speaking of uh, fertility, uh, Kat Rosenfield recently opened up about her fertility struggles. Oh, I didn't know oh. that. Uh, she would be an excellent mm-hmm. guest on that topic and much more. Somebody says mm. agreed. Kat would be a good guest on this pod. Um, oh, she's been a guest on on the Unspeakable. Um, so yeah, we love Kat. Kat is one of these people that is at the absolute top of her writing game right now. She just mm-hmm. kills it consistently. I don't know how she produces so much in such extremely high quality writing for reason. And There's unheard. a bunch of unheard ladies mm-hmm. who are, who are doing spectacularly actually. Yeah. Like I've, I, that's why I go to unheard to read like from these like female writers who are doing oh really you don't um, think that there are any good male writers on on her not on on her i think interesting or maybe they are i don't know but i just don't i don't um yeah okay so thank you thank you so much donation people um um let's see <laughs> oh your your trigonometry episode was awesome and you looked really nice in it too that is Aaron, uh, who was it? Who gave money? So thank you, Sarah. Thank for, you, Aaron, for whoring is, yourself uh, out. And man, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was outside, and I was like a little chilly. It was outside. I didn't think it was. Yeah, they, we we filmed it outside. I don't. I mean, I expected That's it to crazy. be indoors, so I was like dressed in like this indoors, like home. You know, you were wearing like a like a 
not not slutty but like mildly you know like just like a little dash of inappropriate Mm -hmm. kind of a dress and i was cold you know even though the sun was on me but then it was like i don't even i don't like being outside and like why would they outside that's crazy that it was a beautiful little backyard was it loud oh no, it was very peaceful. It was like the birds were chirping and the sun okay. was on you. So it was, it was, it was nice. If you were a guy and you didn't have any female problems and you weren't worried about your hair blowing in your face um, or how your makeup's melting or anything like that, then it's it's great. But, oh yeah, I see. So it yeah. was misogynist. Okay, they're they're yeah. they're misogynists. Mm. Constantine and Francis, screw them. Okay, yeah. Uh, we were being told that we can run a live poll. That's that's your uh, wheelhouse. That's my Any wheelhouse. ideas for it? I don't know. I have I have so many poll ideas, and they're so inappropriate. Um, oh, somebody said um, it's this. Uh, they want to. Uh, somebody in Nigeria. Uh, if you leave Islam, they arrest you and put you in a mental clinic and heavy doses of meds. Yeah, a lot of the. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, I knew um, that happened to somebody, but not in a Niger, not a Nigerian, but I I know more than one person. Yeah, who got sent to a like a sanit sanitarium. I don't know what it. Yeah, what do they call it? Um, Mental health. Yeah, institution. Yeah. Um, um, somebody asks, "Are you too happy with where your careers have gotten you in this moment of time?" Hell no! <laughs> what do you think we're doing here? God, that's that's answer career. question itself. What does that mean? What do you mean by career? I don't have a career. Other people, other people have careers, but do you do you feel like what you have, Megan, is a career though? You know, like because I feel like career means there's a trajectory, and you know, you kind of like you're walking along a path. But are you walking along a path? Like, is there a path that makes kind of yeah? I, kind I of do sense feel I life? do have a career, but um, mm-hmm. I, I had to pivot a few years ago. Right. So, um, I don't uh, feel I, like I had a career. That's yeah, so I don't, interesting. I don't feel like I had a career because really? I, the activism thing was just like it. It started because I saw a need, and then I started this group, and I never anticipated that it would become as you know substantial of an institution as it actually ended up becoming but it just built it bit by bit like underneath me you know um was as like a volunteer thing and then now not anymore but it was not something i saw myself doing ever i don't like activism per se i don't even not very much of an activist (laughs) activists are the people that you hate the most it seems to me Modern day activism is not activism. It's been it's a it's it's a profession that has been so fully captured by, you know, the like, I don't want to say the elite, but it's like a it's it's a it's a bourgeois profession. You know, truly, it it is not a luxury. It's a luxury profession. There are people who are true activists who still exist but they are operating completely you know it, it, it in spaces that are that that the 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 chattering classes do not look you know and would not even recognize that this is an activist because they think being an activist is going on twitter and they think that there's you know you use use words like social change and uh marginalized and oppression and all these you know it, there's there's this activist speak um i think it's a it it is actually a subject that at some point i would like to write a book on like what has happened to activism and how it became a true like like this 
a, a complex, you know, like it just became an industry of its own. But true activism still exists, but it's just it's just totally invisible. You know, I know people who are operating these underground networks and like getting people to safe harbor from like Kenya and like like and and they are they are doing that work and they are no one's gonna know their names and that's they're hoping that no one will ever find out who they are um because of the nature of their work that right these kinds of yeah exactly in in all if if you have right if you poke around you know if you're actually in the activism space and you're actually trying to do some work you run into lots of uh arenas like this where what is happening is entirely underground and invisible to the kinds of people who you know use the word latinx you know or latinx <laughs> um, latinx latinx um, did you know that there are some universities who have an activist in residence <laughs> did you know that <laughs> that's a great Stanford idea is one actually. of those universities yeah like yale like wow school of public health i think is has um uh activist in residence and you actually get like a that's a, you know what that and... could if okay i mean by your definition of like an ideal real a real activist that actually could be a great thing mm. because kids do need a positive model for for activism i mean they were i i they were you know complaining i think this was at oberlin um and I'm sure this happens elsewhere that they didn't have enough time for their activism. Like that they, the kids needed, the students needed like less of a course load because they needed more time for their activism. They activism is not a thing. It's not a hobby. You know what I mean? And that's what it seems like it, it, it these people think it is like these young people think it is. Well, they right. Think they think hobby. it's, it's something about them. Like it's, it's a, if yeah. your activism isn't costing you, like a good like if if it isn't a pure gift that you're giving out into the world um then you should be suspicious of whether it is actually effective um and you know what exactly is it that you're doing in in, in the first place but then there's a there's, there's just a broader problem of 501c3s which is like a, a status of a nonprofit um that you know it used to be that you would be like the salvation army right like it used to, it used to be you are giving money to other people like doing like something for them building houses for them whatever and now you're going to get this like tax pair you know funded uh free tax free um you know uh, your income's gonna be tax free and then I don't know at what point exactly, and this is why I think I want to write a book about it, because something happened at some point, and now we can do, uh, you can be a, a, a 501c3, even if you're just doing, like, educational work. You're educating the world. Yeah, social you just issues, have to make you know? a case for how you're doing something. Anyone can be, anyone, yeah, exactly. any, anything can be a 501c3. Now, having said that, of this course, podcast, lots maybe. of legitimate, yeah, there's a lot of legitimate organizations that are just doing that. They're educating the public. Um Many organizations I've worked with would go under that realm, uh, go under that um, field. But if you think about it in a in in just an incentive sense, um, their product is not measurable. You know, um, the money goes primarily to funding um, people's jobs. You know, like not into giving money to others or you know turning it into coats so that they won't freeze or whatever you know what i mean like it's not it, it's it's a, it's a very different thing and it is a way for the ultra ultra wealthy to have 
a huge sway on public discourse because you can just, you know, if you feel very passionately about an issue, well, you give a lot of money to a 501c3 that will do nothing but talk about it all the time. And that's their whole job is to make videos on this issue and to, to, to give talks on this issue. And I do this, right? Like this is, this is what I do. So I think there are a lot of, a lot of very defensible ways in which this is used, this vehicle is used, but it is also at the same time, it must be um, a way in which like the Uber wealthy can kind of twist, you know, turn public opinion, uh, you know, mm-hmm. towards what they care about. Like Mackenzie Bezos can go around and give million dollar bombs to organizations that mean something to her. And she will end up having an effect on the country and her voice is bigger than everybody else's voice because so much of it is like going to social issues and social causes and you know anyway anyway there's there's a lot to say about it but um Um, the whole field is rotten like the whole field is yeah uh caitlin says i feel like modern day activism has imploded into itself please write a book I would love to see you write a book because you everybody so, keeps wanting me to write books. You'd be books. so miserable. Oh my god! You deserve to feel the misery, Megan, that everybody um, else feels. I have suffered. I have been an activist. Okay, I just like, want you to hurt like I hurt. There's no hurt like like true activism. Let me tell mm, you. I think the hurt of writing a book is is worse. You think? Um, yeah. You know, we should ask Louise Perry because she had like a kid around the same time she had a book. Yeah, and I want to. I want to ask her like, what was worse? Like, what was what yeah. hurt more, labor or like the you know Good question the, the publication yeah. week? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, before we start to wrap up, I do think we want to at least touch on um uh, an unfolding story. Um, yeah, right. About Which we know nothing about. So we're well, just we know nothing about. But I just I know that people are waiting for us to weigh in. Uh, and we we would really be remiss if we didn't. And that is the scandal at the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration. Uh, so um, Trace uh, Woodgrains, who is the um, brilliant researcher at BARPOD and who's also a law student, apparently. We uh, a researcher. What the fuck? I, I know. Never this me. is why they do so well. Please. Like You know what? Today's one ninety nine is tomorrow's full-time free research assessment. Um, Right. So there's a a scandal at the FAA has been moving on a slow burn through the courts for a decade, culminating in um, a class action lawsuit um, that if you want to elaborate on, you can. But the upshot basically has to do with air traffic controllers and the way um, diversity coalitions within the air traffic control, um, I don't know, unions or just the industry. Um, and there's also an organization of, of black air traffic controllers. Uh, there was a, an initiative to, to diversify ATC that has resulted in like an astonishing, uh, set of improprieties on the exam and the application process for this exam i think they just uh they came up with it and sort of threw it at um prospective air traffic controllers i suppose um and it's a biographical questionnaire Uh, and, (laughs) and so the lawsuit was i think by the the um 
you know, students and all these people who had studied for this test and taking all these courses and actually passed them and did well, um, right. only to have this test thrown at them kind of at the like at the last second without any kind of warning and then they fail this test and yeah not getting fired competent qualified people with apparently no shot of actually getting the job right and um so so trace woodgrains uh publishes this published the this really great i i would recommend to uh that that you guys check out his Substack. this is a man or his twitter at least this is a man, yeah. right? You're confirming gender, please. Like Trace? Yes. yes. Yes, yes. Trace? Tracy? I don't know. I think his name is Trace. I don't know if it's short for Trace okay, or well, what. But we're saying his. We're using he, him. He is a, he's a man. Okay. okay. I don't know why it matters. It doesn't matter. I just wanted to use the correct pronoun. Um, yeah, good Twitter follow. And um, I, uh, he wrote about it on his Substack as well and is going to continue to follow this. And I, I trust him more than I trust... My research, that's for sure. My research consists of going on to Twitter, typing in Trace Woodgrains and seeing what 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 happens yeah. on this case. I mean, but, I, I can't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the details of this are that we genuinely You know what? You know what? I love this up. I love it because. I feel so vindicated. When I say, you know, I say to people, look, it's so much worse than you think it is. Like, it's so it's so much worse than you can possibly imagine. And, you know, and even I do this where I, 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 you know, correct myself and I think, no, Sarah, it can't actually right. be that. Bad. Right. You know, immediately after I've been betrayed, like I've been betrayed and I think, oh, maybe this means it's worse. But like, no, 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 no. It, can't, it can't be. It can't be worse. And then it is. Right. At some point, we just have to learn the lesson and imagine that the worst possible thing that they can be doing, they are doing and nothing stops them. There's no rhyme or reason here. Uh, they will do anything that they can to, yeah. to get more people of color um, and a little bit more, you know. I mean, uh, and I, you know, it's it's and who can disagree with that? Mm -hmm. Except for I mean, racists. Right. Uh, I mean, this conversation started emerging over the last couple of weeks about DEI in the airline industry and people were passing around memes like, um, you know, uh, if would you, you know, oh, you would if there was if you saw this black pilot, you would really refuse to fly, you know, you would get off the plane kind of thing. I mean, it's it's not that simple, obviously. It's not that simple, but, but at the same term, like if you look, here's, <laughs> <laughs> look here, here's what it is. Here's what it is. If you destroy objective standards, if you destroy objective criteria and you're loud about it and you go out of your way to defend the destruction of objective criteria and you demand more and more of it, you know, it starts earlier. Like the, 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 the handicap we start giving people of certain that belong to certain social groups, we, we give them that handicap earlier and then more of it. And then we end up with a Claudine Gay. Uh, I, I just feel She's like training to be a pilot. Now I heard what? you hear that she'll, yeah, well, good luck. Um, maybe her, maybe her lowest grade though, wasn't in science. I think she, she yeah, could one be somebody. Of the, one of the questions, okay, one of the questions that they asked, okay, this is so complicated. Like, basically, there was an internal memo that was telling people of color who want to be air traffic controllers, people of color, I, I'm assuming not Asians, by the way, so whatever, <laughs> but like, they were, maybe, I don't not know. Me they, not, not me either. Not you. And not one. Asian, yeah. But they were saying, like, you know, there's basically, like, ways of kind of coding yourself, moving yourself to the top of the pile, 
um, by answering certain questions in this particular way. And one of the questions was, what what subject in school were you the the weakest in, or something like that? Yeah. And and you're, I mean, I can't even describe this because it's so nonsensical. It's so unstealth. And it's it's the the question at, out of you know science, math, English, history, and social sciences or physical education. Uh, if you answered science, you you know that was that was the correct answer. Good job. Um, who knows why that was the correct answer, and you just got bumped up to the to the top of the lot. So they really should ask, like, do you play so do chess? They think black people are bad at science. Is that what they're? What is I don't the know. I don't know. I mean, this, it's so and not freaking racist for it's starters. I mean, they, they should what? ask if you, I mean, air traffic controllers are chess players. That's the, that's the cognitive profile. Yeah. Because you're moving stuff around all the time. Yeah. But why I actually, English? No, they, history. well, I don't, political science. I don't know that you need wow. to know history. I, you know, they really need to know art history and gender studies in order to be air traffic controller. No, I mean, seriously, um, this it's this used to be um a really prestigious job um you know hard to get and also like pretty egalitarian there was a there's a great book it was the or maybe it was just an article um it was the basis of that um uh billy bob thornton movie something's got to give about air traffic controllers um uh i think the article was it was in the new york times magazine back in Who's like billy bob the, thornton oh my god sarah um <laughs> uh sling blade sling blade was an air traffic okay. controller okay that is how much it that's the, not the profession. a like a black no. um no. No, that's different that's, no that's it's about a made. it's about a, a special special person um no so i mean air traffic controllers used to be like a lot of really smart um you know mathematically oriented amazing spatial relations um people Mm-hmm. And not even mostly men. A lot of women did it, um, and they could come from anywhere. Some of them were you know, working class. Um, I think military is a route, though. That, some of them, yeah, yeah, uh, like, yeah. and um, you know, because they before they used to literally. I mean, as as recently as the nineties, they would literally move the stuff around on pieces of paper. Like they, it was computerized to a, to an extent, but they had like, you know, boards in front of them and each little piece of paper slip of paper represented a plane flying. Like you're lucky that you didn't fly in the nineties. So, I mean, it's this incredible kind of like cognitive feat that was going on. Um, and you know, obviously, you know, R- Reagan fired all the air traffic controllers in the eighties when they, which was hilarious. Right. Right. Move, actually. I mean, yeah. One thing. <laughs> um, but you know i used to listen you used to be able to listen to the uh air traffic on the on the radio channel when you flew and especially on united i remember i they always had it on united i don't know that they had it on other uh airlines but um i used to listen to it all the time because i love aviation i love planes and i love i'm just fascinated by it so um yeah you would listen to it all the way across and you did you know there's different control centers around the country because you know there's not only the control tower at the airport but there's control centers just like you know in in kansas and different stops along the route so they'll actually just sort of you know hand out controllers will be talking to the plane for like you know several hundred miles and then they'll hand it over to the next like you know airspace 
Mm-hmm. Um, and just to listen to them talk, it was amazing because they had all their jargon and they say like Alpha Bravo, Charlie Delta kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. um, and there was just this way that they spoke, a very clipped kind of military, a lot of Southern accents. The pilots often had military backgrounds and just the way that they spoke, um, I found mesmerizing and and pretty professional. Um, and every once in a while, you would hear the the air traffic controller like trying to contact a plane or something and not getting an answer. You know, yeah. like, are you the there? Drama. Coffee, coffee, coffee. And I'm like, and, and then it's answer. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I and I I I hadn't been following. I always I I didn't get the memo that this job had deteriorated um, to the extent that it has. And I I noticed like people have been sort of making jokes about air traffic controllers looking at their phones uh instead of working and i don't know it's you can't even make it up you know like we can't know what what else is there to say like are we gonna how are we gonna satirize this is there a worse job to to have incompetent people at like i other than like surgeons and if they are doing it here right like if they if this is this is happening here it's happening everywhere you know, and there's a lot more of it happening everywhere because we haven't noticed. Um, it's just, I, I don't. What do you mean? I mean? What about in? What about like in Africa? They're trying to hire white not, guys. Not there. And uh, that's going to be here. A in, I meant in the sense that in all fields. Oh, in all you know, fields, in all domains in American life, there's something like this happening. If there is ever uh, a disparity that somebody doesn't like, there is there are attempts to redress it, to fix it. Um, and they will use, they will use whatever they can at their disposal, including just blatantly like, like horseshit questionnaires like this. Um, and should be insulting. I, I can't. Yeah. It, it would be, I would be so insulted if I was like a black person trying to, trying to get this job and then finding out that I made it through this questionnaire and then then after that finding out that well this questionnaire is like written out specifically for a certain kind of person mm-hmm. um I don't know I, I it's incredible and and there's no I feel like there's just no stopping this train until we say no to all of it you know we just say, have to say no to all of it there is no such thing as having a little bit of DEI. It, yeah, no half measures. There's no half measures. We just have to say n- none of it is acceptable, period. Like we have objective standards and you meet them or you don't. And anytime you have objective standards for anything, you know, like for this job, the, you you have to be six foot tall. Well, that limits some social groups from not entering yeah. the job or you have to lift this much. Well, that, you know, precludes yeah. I think all we need, pregnant we need women. more Asian women in basketball. But there were there yeah, there, there are always going to be positions in which there are objective standards that are un, un, end up applying unequally to different social groups. That's always going to happen. I mean, I it, I was thinking about all the different ways like now that I'm a mom, like all the different ways I'm screwed and all the different you know pathways in life that are like not open to me but no one cares you know no one's like oh we need to make sure that like moms what? also well like if you go out at places everything closed every, everything doesn't people things some things don't even open at like to like 10 p.m it's like i'm asleep by then 
you know like i wait 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 you can't go to nightclubs is that what yeah, you're but like saying nightclubs are like they're they're at, they're like way night they don't what are you mean talking night about night? that wait 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 i'm curious not that I'm ever we have going, some questions that we have not that i'm questions. actually going i just mean Hang that on. like they i want to know what you think is open at like okay, that is not discrimination you think that you're being discriminated against what i'm saying okay what i'm saying if i if i wanted to just apply that logic uniformly throughout society i would find that it is there are constantly places in which you know people with different circumstances or social backgrounds or you know ethnic racial backgrounds or immigration statuses or whatever like they're going to be disparately impacted and it does not make sense to utilize that as a standard for anything um we have a couple more questions before we oh God, but uh, we gotta go. We gotta go, but we do okay, I know, I know. my time. We I have to we do have to. But people have people have given us generous donations. So we Oh my god, to, but they're uh, just gonna but somebody stop okay. it because then they're gonna right. keep doing it. Um this is I know this I'm, is on the I'm tip. So this can be answered really easily. Um uh border wall, um are you for it or against it? You know what? You know what's what's frustrating about like in Texas, like every time I go filled with Californians, I hate it. And it is changing up like my hometown is like nothing like it was. Like the whole neighborhood's changed. There's like yoga studios around. There used to be like kalachi places, like really good ones. And now there's like there's, you know, like like this in this yoga station, we take donations. Just pay whatever you wanna Pay whatever you want. Wait, you're saying you should they should build a border wall to keep They should build a border wall. I think there should be a Something, some kind of so map. a we northern need to, border. We need so to a northern make it border so that wall. the Californians, uh, eastern north, uh, sorry, a northwestern border wall to keep yeah. out the Californians. Okay, Latinos, I don't mind. I think they're great. I, that's but a, I think Californians that's a, are extremely annoying, including Latino Californians. I'm sorry. I like get if you're, it. This, this is where you're from. You can't come in. You can't. Okay. cross the border. I think that's a. I think that's a very good answer. Um, uh, here's another one, uh, very easily answered. Uh, can religion be quote reformed? If yes, how? If not, why? Uh, just real quickly. I don't know. I mean, that's a big. That's a big topic. Of like given lots of, like actual talks about it. Depends on the religion. I get. I think. Okay, that's the sorry. Um, like I, I'll give it more. Okay. Maybe yeah. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll think about these things. Um, um, okay. Is there anything they need to know? Ten dollars, and we got ten Australian dollars. Hey. Wow. Is that a lot or less? Um, I think you already mentioned this in a previous pod, but any further thoughts on Ion Hirsiely's conversion? What the fuck? Yeah, um, we did talk about it. Um, maybe we should release it to like the public. I think because I think it was paywall. Oh, we also talked. I know somebody also um, asked about what we think about um, like the fat positivity movement, and we just did an entire episode on that. Um, yeah, about uh, or most of it, an episode about that. We talked about mm-hmm. Kate Mann's new book. So yeah, well, the, okay. The, so the person that, that said the religion question, they sent thirty dollars. They sent like a lot of money. Thank you. So we should. We will get. Uh, I will convert to that. It re- depends on the religion. Is it, that it actually is a question? But okay. What do you mean? Yeah. Form. You know, like what? What are you trying to get out of that religion? Um, thirty Malaysian dollars. Wow, those came from Malaysia. Thank oh. you. Look at that. Thank you. Hey, we we're international uh okay Thank you to our one Malaysian oh, look. fan look at that That's so it's six dollars and 35 cents is 30 oh, that is okay. great that is still great. an odd number now, but then the odd, odd numbers present problems for sarah us, you know what if it's an odd number it rounds up for sarah so okay, okay perfect all right so they um, should rate and review rate and review um yeah well 
I think we are due for more religion talk at some point yeah. because there's just a lot of interesting things going on. We wanted to talk to Constantine about Constantine it. Constantine from Trigonometry. Um, from Trigonometry about it because he's he's had a lot of interesting thoughts about coming back to religion a little bit, but as a as an atheist, as a secularist. But he's busy. Mm-hmm. But we will get him on the pod. Yeah, and we have exciting guests coming up. And we have some exciting yeah, guests coming up who are religion people. So stay tuned. Okay. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Thanks everyone. For the Thanks for joining. Look it's at that. fun. We'll do it again. Our, our first live, live recording. All right. Take care. Okay. Good night. Bye. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs>